Well, good morning, CCV family. It's so good to be with you here. Uh, we also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online for the very first time. Today, what we were going to do is we were going to finish our series called Stop at Nothing. We've been walking through the book of Philippians, but we've decided that we're going to push that off and we're going to finish that next week. And instead, what we're going to do is we're going to address what's on everyone's mind. From the senseless murder of Ahmaud Arbery to the killing of George Floyd, we felt that we needed to talk today about race, about uh, law enforcement, and about what we can actually do as disciples of Jesus. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to start out by showing you a picture that was posted by a colleague of mine. His name is Ephraim Smith. He's a pastor. Take a look at this right now. What do you think of when you see that? What emotion goes through your mind? I think what Ephraim was getting at when he was sharing that picture is that there's this parable in Matthew chapter 25 of the book of Matthew where Jesus tells this story that the end of the world is going to look an awful lot like a guy who brings up a sheep, sheep and goats. And Jesus uses the imagery of sheep and goats on purpose because from a distance you can actually mistake sheep and goats for one another. They look a lot like each other from a, from a great distance. But when you bring them up, and Jesus says at the end of the world, he's going to bring people up like sheep and goats and separate them. And to one group of people, he's going to say, come on into heaven for you. And he gives this whole list. You, you cared for prisoners. You cared for refugees. You cared for the poor, on and on and on. And then there's going to be a group of people who say, why aren't you letting us in? And Jesus is going to say, well, it's because you didn't care for me. And they're like, well, it's because you weren't here. And he said, well, yeah, I was there. I just was there in the face of the person that was hurting and broken and homeless and needing food, and marginalized. Because whatever you have done to the least of these, you've done to me. And so what I want you to do is I want you to picture in your mind Jesus, his neck under the knee of that police officer. I want you to picture Jesus as a 17-year-old kid getting shot, running away from police. I want you to picture Jesus being pulled over simply because of his skin collar. What does that make you think? What does that make you feel? One of my favorite memories growing up was with my grandfather. My grandfather was a Franklin County Sheriff in Columbus, Ohio. He's a really big deal, well-known. And he would take me into the prison and we would walk through the prison and we would meet prison guards and he would lock me up in a cell and put me... And it was just an amazing experience as a young kid. I loved driving in the cruiser with him, and so many people knew him, and he introduced me to people, and it was just a wonderful experience for a young kid to grow up trusting a fair, honest, loving cop, and that marked me. Now, my other experience is that growing up, all of my friends were black, and you have to understand Saying that grates on me a little bit, like my friends were black, because they were just my friends. And you know how if, let's say, you are black and you go into a room and there's 
nothing but a bunch of white people. For me, that was my experience growing up. They were like, hey, who's the white guy here? And uh, they were just my friends, Brian and Eric and Donnie and all of my friends growing up. They just happened to be black. And I remember in first grade, my mom tells a story about how I was super excited on my birthday uh, that she was going to bring in cupcakes. Do they still do this in schools, by the way, with peanut allergies and stuff? Uh, my mom brought in these cupcakes, and I said, I'm so excited for you to meet my friend, and you're going to know who he is because he's a little bit shorter than me. He sits near me, and he has curly hair. And she thought it was interesting that I just had never mentioned to her that he was the only black kid in my class. When I was in seventh grade, uh, my friend Eric and I uh, would walk to school together, and at virtually every single day in seventh grade, we would get beaten up. We called them stoners, about 10, 15 older kids that would be there, and they would beat him up because he was black. They would beat me up because I was an athlete coming from a more wealthy family. But every single day, we stuck it together, and we essentially just got the crap beat out of us. So much so that by the end of eighth grade, I was assaulted by much older adults that were a part of this larger gang and completely dislodged my jaw. And so I have pain. Every single time I yawn, every single time I chew, I have the mark of that racially charged period of time in my life. Now, my friend Eric, his mom moved him to Cincinnati, and so he was able to leave, by and large, that environment, but he was never able, actually, to leave behind the pain of what it feels like to be treated a certain way because of your skin color and to be called the N-word. Now, I love cops because of my experience. I also love my friends who look different than me. And so it breaks my heart when I see what's happening in this country and the way I see people fighting and speaking over one another on social media. And so we need as a church, first and foremost, to clearly condemn this behavior. It is an evil, wicked, terrible thing that must be forcefully eradicated from our culture. And the reason is the Bible's very clear on race. So, for instance, the Bible tells us that God purposely created human beings to be ethnically diverse. It wasn't like a biological uh, evolutionary accident that here we are, we're so different. The Bible tells us that God created us to be different. Acts 17, 26, from one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. The other thing is the Bible tells us that God only looks at our hearts and demands that we as Christians do the same. James 2.9. We only look at the heart of someone. God commands that we fight injustice and equality whenever we see it. Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's why we as a church absolutely, utterly condemn this behavior. At the same time, the Bible also tells us that law enforcement is an institution designed by God to maintain social order. So we love 
and appreciate good cops and their families. We appreciate the good that they do for society. Yes, absolutely, we condemn evil police officers, but that doesn't mean we condemn police officers. In, in the same way that a teacher sexually abused a kid, that is an evil teacher. That doesn't mean teachers are evil. So both my white and black friends all agree on this. Why then don't white Christians understand the antipathy that many blacks have against law enforcement? Let me talk about that for a bit. I think number one is white Christians have never been targeted by police because of their skin color. Uh, my uh, daughter in high school a few years ago, we were going to a lacrosse tournament in Richmond, Virginia. And so we played for, or she played for this elite lacrosse team that traveled all over the country. And so if you have ever had your kid play for in one of these elite traveling uh, teams, you understand that, that an elite travel team is where your money goes to die, right? And so uh, I basically had a different viewpoint. She had enough scholarship offers from different schools. I wasn't so concerned so much about her performance that a lot of the parents would go down like a day before and get rested and that sort of thing. I was like, forget that. We're just driving down to Richmond and playing, right? So we drive down to Richmond. We get to the hotel, and I get there, and the coaches, let me just pause and say, were two all-American lacrosse players at Temple. Phenomenal coaches. And their son was absolutely amazing. Funniest guy I've ever been around. And the girls just loved these coaches. So we go into the lobby of the hotel, and the coaches are there waiting for the room to open up. And I said, so the room's not... And what tournaments usually do is they do them in blocks. And so they have to release them at certain times. I was like, are the rooms released yet? And she said, no, not yet. And I said, hold on. So I went up to the desk. And I said, do you see these girls over here? They're exhausted. We just drove all the way from Philadelphia. We need to get in a room. She said, I'm sorry, sir. I'm not going to be able to do that. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to call up to the floor. And I want you to see if that particular room is open. Will you do that for me? Yes, I'll do that. So she calls up. The room was released. And so we just get into the uh, elevator, go up to the room. They change, they relax. And about 45 minutes later, we come down. I go get the car and pull it up. The girls and Lisa get into the car and Lisa closes the door and says, well, that was awkward. I'm like, what? I said, I was nice. I didn't yell at, no, no, no. She said, that's not it. She said, do you realize what happened? I was like, what? She said, you just walked up and they gave you the room. But the coaches who had been sitting there for three hours at that point didn't get to go in the room. And I thought to myself, this is one of two things going on. Number one, this could be actually they were releasing the rooms and I was just a little forceful and that sort of thing. Or it could be that here we are in Richmond, Virginia, near Appomattox Courthouse, the very place where Robert E. Lee surrendered to the Union forces, and our three black coaches were made to wait three hours while the white guy literally walks up to the white lady at the, at the desk and gets into the hotel. I'm hoping it was the former, 
my, uh, my hunch is it was the latter. When was the last time you, as a white person, have been treated differently because of your skin color? Um, I no doubt have good friends here at our church and where there are mixed couples. One is white, one is black. One lady told me in our church about multiple occasions in our area, not in like downtown Philadelphia somewhere, in our area where a police officer will pull their car over and lean in through the window and ask her, are you okay? Meaning, are, have you been carjacked? I want you to think about that. Multiple times in this area, cops are pulling her over a white woman with her black husband because they think there's the possibility that she has been carjacked and it's only because of the color of her skin, of his skin. I want you to think about those of you who are white, have you ever had to have the conversation when your son or daughter turns 16 years old about the conversation about driving while black? Son or daughter, if you get pulled over by a police officer, you put your hands on the wheel because you will be presumed guilty until innocent because of your skin color. That simply has never happened to those of us who are white. And so we have to understand the the jittery feeling that people have towards law enforcement, not just because of their experience, but their parents' experience and their grandparents' experience and their great-grandparents' experience. Here's the second thing. White Christians have never been presumed to be character deficient because of their skin color. The incident uh, involving Christian Cooper in New York Central Park this past week was a prime example of that. It took me a while to realize when I was a senior in high school that my black friend Donnie went on to play for the, the Lions. Whenever we would go into a Mini Mart before our football game on a Friday night, we would go, we would have a team dinner, and we would stop off at a Mini Mart to get some stuff before we got onto the team bus and drove an hour away to play football that when I was on one side of the store and he was on the other side of the store, the store manager literally would stare at him the entire time, up and down the aisle, up and down the aisle. Why weren't they looking at me? Why weren't they looking at my other two friends? They were the idiots that were stealing stuff, not my friend Donnie. My friend Donnie never stole anything, but it was presumed that he would because he was black. I know people that are here in our church who are older, professional, educated leaders in their field. That whenever they go into Target, whenever they go into Walmart, whenever they go into a restaurant, wherever they go, oftentimes they feel this glance towards them that's different from their white brothers and sisters. And so because of this, I have some suggestions that I want to give our community of disciples here at Christ Church of the Valley. I want to stop talking. I want to talk about action, okay? So I have five things that I want to encourage every single person that calls themselves a disciple of Jesus here at CCV and in our online family to actually step out and do. And number one is this. 
Stop being a social media hashtag hacktivist. I have a very dear friend of mine who, who just asked a very good question. Why haven't you posted anything on social media about what has happened over the last two weeks? And I'm like, that's a great question. I appreciate, we have a close enough friendship that I, I just appreciated so much him asking me that. And I explained to him that when it comes to making a difference, when it comes to actually uh, creating change, social media is a terrible place to do it. First of all, social media's algorithm is such that when you post something on social media, less than 4% of your actual followers or friends will actually see it. Less than 4%. But more importantly, and this is what you have to understand, of the 4% of the people who actually see it, these are the people that you have engaged with most over the last 30 days. So the people where you've liked their post, they've liked your post, over the last 30 days, that small group of people, these are the only people who are going to see your post come up in their feed. So social anthropologists talk about this and in, 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 in they talk about it as being an echo chamber. People that believe the same, live the same way, make the same choices by and large, live in this echo chamber bubble. And so when they post something on social media, it never leaves the bubble. In church world, we call this preaching to the choir. In other words, I'm going to boldly say something on social media that everyone that basically already agrees with me will agree with. Oh, we are really in awe of the courage that it took to say that to people who already agree something with you. And so for me, there's a difference between concrete calls to action to do something and making noise in an echo chamber. I'm sick and tired of Christians thinking that they can type something on Facebook or type something on Instagram and my job is done. I have done everything that I can. That is not at all what Jesus is calling us to do. And so what I would actually encourage you to do is stop posting more frequently on social media And that's because John Stewart said, if everything is amplified, nothing is amplified. If all you do is keep posting, no one's listening to you anymore. But more importantly, if you do post on social media, use it as a call to action to change behavior. And so those five things I said I'm going to challenge you to do, I want to challenge you now. Number one, start by calling your local township police chief and offer to help. Before you post one more thing on social media, you call your local township police officer and you say, I live in this township. I wanted to let you know that I want to continue to encourage you and to demand equal protection and treatment under the law for all people, regardless of race. That's the first thing you say. And then the second thing that you say is, I want to offer to help. Where are the flashpoints in our community where 
People keep getting arrested. Are there community groups that I can join? Is there a way that I actually can step in and help? Micah 6, 8 says this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, not to talk justly. Stop talking justly. Stop it. Act justly. Do something that will bring justice. Don't talk about it. Do it. And so the second call to action that I have is tell your local township officials that you are willing to pay more taxes to help hire more cops, provide better pay, and to provide more training. Like everybody in the world can talk about it. We need to end this. We need to end this. Are you willing to pay to help end it? Because if you've ever been around cops, you know that they have lots of territory that they have to cover. They're stressed. They're working nights and days and these shifts are moving around. And if they were paid better and treated better and there were more people that were equally trained. Listen, you saw that picture of that guy whose neck was under that guy's knee. You know what the problem was? The other three cops. If the other three cops realized that they were going to lose their good paying job and they were trained well, they would have grabbed that guy and pulled him off of him. And the only way we're going to address this is address the system, the culture. So don't tell me that you want to keep posting stuff on social media and that's going to do it. You have to be willing to pay more taxes so that your police officers are paid better and they have more training and better equipment. Number three, Make a commitment to vote. I am shocked by the number of people who think that they can just post something on social media, but when we're in reality, you have to change the system, and then they don't vote. You have no business critiquing a system that you didn't help create with your voting. And it starts with local, local elections. Get educated on who you're voting for. Actually talk to candidates. Stop with the hacktivism and do something actually, do something that's going to make a difference. Number four, call your state and federal representatives and senators. You know what would be great? If someone watching would create a social media post with all the names and all the phone numbers and all the emails of all the representatives, local, state, and federal. So people, that that would be helpful. And actually call those people. So my question to you, you you, you notice what happened over the last two weeks. Did you call your local representative and say, hey, listen, what's going on here? This will not stand. What, what, What do you need help with to make sure that this doesn't happen in our area? But number five, The last call to action is finally just share the gospel with people. People find it, it, it's so easy to complain on social media. But when was the last time you shared the gospel with anyone? Only the gospel has the power to change people's lives. That's what changes people's hearts. So we would much rather simply vote, which is great, and work, which is great. But the actual thing that changes people's hearts, both for police officers and people that are being hurt is the gospel. 
And what it does is it creates this powerful community where God begins to work, where Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, you want to know what heaven looks like? Heaven looks very, incredibly beautiful and diverse. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain. Because with your blood you purchased for God members of every tribe, every language, and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. God, thank you so much for what you're doing here on earth, and you're raising people up to act justly, not just to talk justly. God, help us to live with that prophetic urgency as disciples of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.